today on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. We always say just first and foremost, it's always good to get an assessment and evaluation by someone who's really in that field and truly understands the pelvic floor. But then people say, how do I even know if I need it? One, everybody has a pelvic floor, both males and females. So if you have one, you're most likely going to need some work on it at some avenue. We all go to the gym. We all work out. We're still protecting our heart. We're working all of our muscles. We're doing those things. You should be doing the same thing for your pelvic floor as well. And it needs some extra attention because most of us don't even know what it is. Well, hello there. I'm your host for today, Dr. Kate Henry, and I'm talking with Dr. Rebecca Quintangeli today. She's a physical therapist at the Movement Paradigm and the director of the Women's Health Program, which aims to examine all facets of health and well-being to improve health problems and provide holistic physical therapy for pelvic pain. Dr. Becky has a doctorate in physical therapy as well as a bachelor's of science in athletic training and is certified in pelvic floor and barefoot training. She works with patients with a variety of conditions, including chronic pain, inflammation, and pelvic floor pain and dysfunction. Her approach to pelvic floor health combines relaxing and strengthening muscles, as well as cultivating good habits and training the core. She tells us all her tips and tricks today, and this is a must listen if you're someone with low back pain, pelvic floor issues, urinary incontinence, you name it, Dr. Becky has the answer. We're gonna talk about why your feet matter for your pelvic floor health and why your core is not just your abs, as well as so much more. Before we get started though, I wanna to talk to you about something that comes up pretty often on this podcast. And that of course is lab testing. You see, testing is one essential way to understand the root cause of an illness. If you're an integrative or functional medicine practitioner, chances are you're placing a ton of orders with a ton of different labs. The Root Cause Medicine podcast is created by Rupa Health. Rupa is the best way to order, manage, and track results from over 30 different labs in one single place for free. Thank goodness, no need to create and log into multiple portals ever again. If you're a practitioner, make sure you go sign up at rupahealth.com to create your free account today. While you're there, you can also try out our latest tools, like the meal plan generator and lab shops, which make practicing root cause medicine even easier and faster. Now, let's start the show. Dr. Becky, welcome to the Root Cause Medicine podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about being here. Me too. We have a ton to get into today that's going to help so many people. You're a physical therapist and you chose to specialize in pelvic floor therapy. Out of all of the body systems, you picked that one. You have a really unique approach to helping people heal from things like urinary leaking, vaginismus, vulvodynia, pelvic pain more. But before we dive into those, and give people the tangible things they can do at home to heal. I want to hear from you. Why did you choose to specialize in pelvic floor therapy? Thank you. I would say it's definitely a long journey for me to have gotten here. And a lot of pieces have gotten me to this place. So it started with, I was a mom pregnant and I went through the whole healthcare system. And I was very blessed to have a very healthy pregnancy the entire time and come to Right up towards the end, I had a little bit of a crazy whirlwind. I had an emergency C-section, so it was a little bit of a traumatic end of things for me. Was not part of my plan, did not want to have a C-section whatsoever. And then to go into an emergency C-section where my husband wasn't allowed to even be in there and I had to go under because I had no epidural. Very crazy for me to experience mm. that. And then I asked and requested because... I had been in the field of athletic training for a while and I had been exposed to this area of physical yeah. therapy and had heard a little bit about pelvic floor PT mm -hmm. that I said, hey, do you think that maybe instead of those opioids, I could get a script for PT, for pelvic floor PT? And I was pretty much shot down and mm -hmm. I was blown away by that. I couldn't believe it. She pretty much told me at your six-week follow-up, if you decide that you want to go ahead and still do pelvic floor PT, then we'll go ahead and do a script for it come up to mm -hmm. my six week and I asked, hey, I know that I'm healing up really well. I know that everything's really good, but is there any way that I could get that? And she's like, well, you're not experiencing any leaking. You're not experiencing any other pains or anything like that. I can't really warn it. So I'm not going to give you a script for it. I was very frustrated by it and a little irritated. And so I was just like, you know what? I guess it's not that big of a thing. Didn't think it was that big of an area. Fast forward, I decided that I was going to go ahead and do PT school, 
with a four-month-old. So I started PT school and I had my four-month-old son and I was still breastfeeding and I was crazy enough and I was still trying to work. I had amazing support system that told me, you know what, why don't you just stay focused on school and being a mom, which was probably the best thing that I could have ever done. In my second semester of PT school, my mom was unfortunately diagnosed with endometrial uterine cancer. And because I was no longer working a full-time job and I had school on the weekends, I was the one that was going to all the appointments with her. I got to see firsthand all the things that my mom was going through. And the only thing that she was ever given an appointment or a script for PT was pretty much the fatigue that she was experiencing trying to keep her endurance up, which is a fantastic avenue for us to go through and we definitely need it. But she was never given anything for her pelvic floor. They never went through exercises. I think she was given a sheet on here, do Kegels, but no one really instructed her on that. Mm -hmm. And I just watched her go to so many different doctors and everybody was giving her so many different things. And I kept recognizing how important it was to have a facility where everything was underneath the same building, same place. So I decided when I was in PT school, I really wanted to do pelvic floor PT because that I felt just a huge passion from my experience and myself, as well as my mom's experience, which unfortunately my mom did pass away in my last year at PT school from her cancer. So it was definitely, PT school was a little bit of a whirlwind for me, definitely challenged me in many ways that I would have never even thought it was going to. My very last clinical rotation, I went and I went into an orthopedic setting and I said, okay, I'm really going to get to see what pelvic floor PT is. I haven't been able to see it or experience it and I've always heard about it. And that's where I just felt a little let down, to be honest. I just felt like, it was great. We got to see the orthopedic realm and the pelvic floor PT come together, which that I was so excited about to see that. But I just recognized that there was such a huge piece that was missing even in that traditional model. I'm very grateful for here being able to see everything all in one shot. We're looking at everything sleep-wise and diet and all those other lifestyle things that go into what impacts our pelvic floor. So that's my journey. That's how I ended up here. And that's the reason why I'm so grateful that I get to do pelvic floor PT in the realm that I feel like it's going to be the most beneficial for everyone. It's a heavy and meaningful and hard and beautiful story. And it's no wonder to me that you're doing this in such a holistic way. One of the things I know about you is that you always say, Pelvic floor therapy does not just happen in the office. It happens all day long. So it makes sense to me that you now have a private practice that where you're seeing people and you're thinking about it all. But what do you mean when you say that? So a lot of times the best way to say it, we always say integration. Everybody's always like, oh, that's a big buzzword. Everybody's talking about how do we integrate it? And immediately we all think about, okay, it's what are we doing in our daily life that might be actually making more of an impact than we realize it? So when I have my patients and I'm working with somebody and we're doing things, it's not just the exercises. I always say this. It's not just you doing your three sets of 10 exercises that you have to do for your whatever it ends up being. Now, when it comes to pelvic floor, it's a little bit more specific, not just that. But we're really trying to figure out, okay, what are you eating? What are the things that might be driving your bladder to be irritated? And that's the reason why you're leaking. What are your daily habits of just what you're doing throughout the day. Are you having a night out with your girlfriends and you're laughing and maybe the mechanics of you laughing or jumping on the trampoline with your kids is what's actually truly causing your leaking. Mm -hmm. Like really trying to figure out those pieces and integrate this into that. And then the big piece with the movement component that you just brought up, when it comes to that, we're looking at our foot to core connection, that fascial connection that's happening because a lot of times we're always so focused on just the pelvic floor and some pelvic floor PTs, most of us are looking at how it's related into the spine. But when we're just staying so focused on our exercises in a seated or a laying position, and it's not fully functional, it's not how we live our day. So we really need to understand how our foot integrating fascially with all that tension up through to the core, how we're stabilizing appropriately, all of our breathing patterns, all those different aspects about how it's truly going to impact and make the biggest difference to what we're doing for the pelvic floor. So it sounds like your evaluation of someone who comes in and they say, I have pelvic floor issues. I found you. I've been following you on social media and I know you're the person for me. They might think that you might just start looking at their pelvis, but it sounds like you start at the feet. 
Do I start at the feet? Because that gives us the biggest piece of information. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times we are so imbalanced. And just to give an example, if we're really unbalanced and our foot's very unstable, that fascially just means we're not loading appropriately up the chain, which means we're going to be compensating somewhere. Hips could be getting tight. Our back could be getting tight. But most importantly, if we think about the nervous system ends of it, our body recognizes we're not safe in that moment, which means our breathing pattern is going to change. Mm. Immediately, we go to breathing up into our chest and we're breathing from our neck, which creates its own tension. But most importantly, our diaphragm is not going to move. If our diaphragm isn't moving, our pelvic floor isn't going to move at all. So I could give you all the exercises under the sun But if our breathing pattern is what's truly dysfunctional and a big piece of what's going on, nothing's going to make a change in our system. So you even have to consider breathing when you're looking. Okay, so people might not know what the diaphragm looks like or how it's related to the pelvic floor. Can you paint a visual for someone who may be listening in their car about that connection and why it's so important to consider? Yeah, I always love saying this to people because we always say core and immediately everybody's brain pops right to our abdominal muscles. And Mm -hmm. I'm so guilty of doing it too because it's so easy to relate to that. Yeah. But our core is actually a 360 canister. So you're imagining that whole midsection of our body. You're imagining this dome-shaped muscle that sits at the bottom of our rib cage. That's the very top of our core. And then you have your pelvic floor that's sitting in our pelvic area. It's this bowl, if you imagine that. It's the muscles that sit in that space. So when you're sitting on the chair, if you're sitting in the car currently, it's those muscles that you're sitting on right now in that seat. So those are your top and your bottom. And then you have your transverse abdominus, which runs on the sides into the front. And it really looks like a corset. That's the easiest way to relate to seeing that. And then on the back, you have your multifidi. So all of that is what encompasses your core. And that's what we're always trying to look at functionally when we're looking at all those things too. That's impressive. So it sounds like during your initial evaluation, you're looking at the whole body, Mm -hmm. head to toe. But then you mentioned some other lifestyle habits. So you're also looking at things like how much someone's drinking. Tell us about the other lifestyle factors that people need to be considering when they're thinking about enhancing the health of their pelvic floor and their core. Yeah. So one of the big ones that I normally like to have people look into is their what they're taking in. So we talked about their water intake, but I also have them check and see maybe there's bladder irritants that they have. Now, the only way that I really can look at that is if I do a bladder diary with someone because I want to figure out, is it incontinence or we're losing urine because are we having any leaking because there's stress that's happening? So we're laughing, we're coughing, we're sneezing. That's when I leak. We're running, we're jumping. Those are times that we leak. That helps me paint that picture. Are we noticing that maybe it's after I drink coffee that it's an irritant mm-hmm. so for some people, unfortunately. We all love our coffee, I know. <laughs> but it could be a bladder irritant that maybe that's the reason why in the morning you're going to the bathroom a lot more. But then when I'm starting to look at that bladder diary and we're not really seeing trends, then I'm starting to figure out what are some other things outside of that that are going to be an irritant for some people. And that's where I normally check in with the just-in-case peeing, or we call them jick pees. You are the first person who taught me about jick peeing. The only person, actually. I want to get into that. But before we dive in, I probably want to just take a minute and paint the full picture for folks who maybe don't even know they have pelvic floor issues. What are some of the symptoms they might be experiencing if they need to level up the health of their pelvic floor? Yeah, so this is definitely one of those questions because it's now becoming almost like a buzzword where everybody's saying pelvic floor and everybody's like, oh, great, let me just work out my pelvic floor. And everyone goes, what do I do? Squeeze my butt a whole bunch of times. I don't even know what I'm doing. Everybody's so lost when it comes to it. So we always say just first and foremost, it's always good to get an assessment and evaluation by someone who's really in that field and truly understands the pelvic floor. But then people say, how do I even know if I need it? One, everybody has a pelvic floor, both males and females. So if you have one, you're most likely going to need some work on it at some avenue. We all go to the gym. We all work out. We're still protecting our heart. We're working all of our muscles. We're doing those things. You should be doing the same thing for your pelvic floor as well. And it needs some extra attention because most of us don't even know what it is. So for symptoms, I normally say it's those easy, quick ones that most of us know right from the get-go. 
it would be your leaking, that's bowel and bladder. If you are experiencing any pain with intercourse and for women who are using tampons or anything like that, if they're having any pain or discomfort with that. Also for males, if they're feeling like they're having a little bit of a performance issue, that would be something that they would want to meet with a pelvic floor pee theme. But then the next layer is starting to look outside of that area because most of us don't even relate to, oh yeah, my pelvic pain, I have pelvic pain. Most people relate to, I have tight hips. I have a really hard time getting into a deep squat. It's like those first signs that we're doing something there that we're missing and the pelvic floor might be a big piece to it. My core workouts aren't so strong and I feel like I'm missing something. It's probably the pelvic floor is a key component that's going along with it. And then the other big one that is really easy for me to relate it to is also low back pain. But the one that most people have a little bit of a harder time recognizing, that neck pain that you're experiencing, if you're not also addressing the pelvic floor, you're missing a piece of it too. And is this more common? So we live in Pennsylvania. You're nearby. But in America, do you feel like this is more common because much of our country sits so much? Does that affect the pelvic floor? Yeah, it does. It definitely gives a lot of input. My cyclists, that's a really big one for them too, just Mm. because the posture that they're sitting in, lots of input onto that space. But then the other layer, and this was really interesting for me, it actually happens a lot to people who weight lift because they are always creating such heavy lifts. Like they're not doing light lifts. It's normally your heavyweight Olympic lifters. And they did do research recently asking them and they asked both males and females. And about 70% of the females had a pelvic floor dysfunction where they were feeling pain or leaking or something along those lines. And I believe it was about 80% of them weren't even able to figure out how to strengthen their pelvic floor, which mind-blowing. They're heavyweight lifters. They seem like they should be able to do those different types of things, but they also didn't even know what their pelvic floor would need. So it does affect more of a population than we even recognize. It's even our healthy individuals who are really active that are experiencing issues as well. So we tend to think of someone who's been through pregnancy or a birth or maybe somebody who sits all the time, but actually you're saying, even if you're an elite athlete, if you haven't been trained in how to exercise and engage your pelvic floor and your core appropriately, you're also just as much at risk. So it sounds like if you're a human, you should probably (laughs) pay attention to your pelvic floor. It's really the root of a lot of your feet and then your pelvic floor seems like the root of a lot of the movements that you create that are whole body movements. Okay, people heard you say jick peeing three minutes ago and I know that if they're anything like me, their ears perked up and they're like, what the heck is that? What is jick peeing and why do we all need to stop doing it? So jick peeing, I bet you every person who's listening to this has somewhere along the line done it. It just becomes an issue when it's your daily habit all the time. So every once in a while, if it happens, it's not the end of the world. But if you're doing it all the time, that's where we got to cut that. So jick peeing is just in case peeing. So it's that time where, hey, you know what? I'm about to go out to the grocery store and I really don't want to use their bathroom. So I'm going to go pee. And you could have just gone pee maybe an hour ago, but now you're unloading your bladder only after an hour of it filling. It gets very confusing for the bladder. So your bladder has natural filling. So we all know it's kind of this area that we hold urine and we need to empty it out every so many hours. There is roughly an average of how much it can hold, which is approximately 500 milliliters. But I say approximately because everybody's anatomy is slightly different. And we should be emptying about every three to four hours, roughly, which most of us are sitting there calculating out going, I don't know if I even do that. (laughs) Yeah. Or a lot of people are going a lot more frequently just in case. Okay. So you have said that the bladder is actually meant to hold a specific Mm -hmm. amount of urine all the time because, and you described it to me as it's a hollow organ, but it's meant to have some urine in it to to keep the Mm -hmm. ureters open. Tell me how you explain this to people. I normally explain it because a lot of times people have a really hard time understanding why it's not the best thing. So we always have a residual amount of urine that's left over. We're supposed to because remember it's hollow. So it needs a little bit of something in it to keep it somewhat inflated. So then we're drinking our water and then everything goes to the kidneys and then it goes down to your ureters and it goes into the bladder and then it's filling. So our body pretty much gets the first sensation of, hey, we're filling up. Probably gonna have to go to the bathroom. And we can almost ignore that, but we're still getting the signal somewhere. 
And then her next signal is, hey, you really do need to go to the bathroom. We probably should be going to the bathroom. This is normally around that three to four hour mark. And then there's the urgency one where maybe we've been in the car and we're not stopping. So then it's you're running to the bathroom because it's overfull. We don't want it to get to that point. We want it to get to the point where, hey, you need to be emptying. If we're doing just-in-case peeing, we're not confusing the bladder about what its filling rates are. So now we have our residual. And if we're in that just-in-case peeing all the time and we're emptying Mm -hmm. sooner, when it starts to fill, that's going to give us the first signal, hey, we need to start to empty. And now we're going to the bathroom a lot sooner. So -hmm. that's the reason why just-in-case peeing becoming a habit is really not healthy for the bladder over a long term. Because you're training your body that when it hits that residual level, which is really not a problem and you really shouldn't be emptying your bladder at that mark, you're training your body as soon as your bladder senses that to feel an urge to urinate. Yeah, that's where people start to feel frustrated because they're like, I'm in the bathroom every hour, two hours. So that's actually a sign that you have some pelvic floor dysfunction or some bladder. Mm -hmm. Good to know. Guys, if you're like me, you're sitting at home going, oh, shoot. So now what do I do? So how would you advise someone if they are in this cycle? What should they do to stop it other than see a pelvic floor therapist, obviously get their own evaluation? What are some of the general things you recommend to folks? That bladder diary that I talked about in the get-go, always start there because that way you can get an idea. Are you doing it maybe just at nighttime? Are you doing it in the middle of the day? And then we can find our patterns. That's going to make it a lot easier and feel like you can start to accomplish making a change. That will also give you a little bit of a guidance to see, okay, yeah, three to four hours is my consistency, but in the afternoon, that's where I'm finding because I just in case pee, I can't fill up as much. So yeah, then our mark might be closer to that three to four. But if all day you're closer to a two and a half hour time frame, that's what our goal would be. So that's where that bladder diary is really helpful for everybody. Because the last thing we want to do is say, hey, hold your pee for the three to four hour time frame and your poor bladder really can't because maybe you're drinking a lot of water at that time. So that's something else we would have to change. Or we run into the risk of possibly getting your urinary tract infection because we're holding too much urine for too long of a period of time. So I normally say that bladder diary is going to give you the best guidance as well as me the best guidance of where we would start to make some habit changes to make it possible for you to accomplish that. So you'd have someone literally just write down the times when they're going to the bathroom and maybe some notes about their hydration and start to pick out some patterns and find. So where would you start? You would find where the person is having the least time between episodes of urination Mm -hmm. and try to stretch those out. Yeah. Or if they were experiencing leaking, I would start to look at those things. And then also look at their water intake or their liquid intake to see, oh, well, maybe the reason why you have to go pee every hour is because you're chugging water at this time. So let's start doing sips. So that's where we start to make those little tweaks and move things around then. So that sounds a lot more gentle and easy to accomplish than simply trying to hit this three, four hour mark that you describe as like the healthy mark. Mm -hmm. So really just bladder awareness and starting there. So something that I love about you, as you say, especially when you're talking with people who may be moms, You're like, I don't want this to be one more thing that you have on your list to do or to then feel like, well, if I don't do this, I feel bad. Explain to me why that's important for you to give that disclaimer. Yeah. So I work with moms majority of the time. So they're juggling a lot of different things. And I think I just told you about this too. Recently, I had a mom who was sitting in front of me and we were working through breathing. That's always the first foundation that I go through because it's just a great first connection in mm-hmm. that area. And I talked about how important of a foundation it is. So we're sitting there and we're doing the breathing and I could just see this overwhelming sensation start to come about. And I just looked at her and I was like, hey, all right. It's not uncommon to see that happen, but I could tell it was slightly different. And I said, what, are you okay? Do we just need to take a break? Do you want to get up and walk around? And this pause was because she had this reflection of, oh my gosh, am I the reason why my kids have issues with their pelvic floor? And that, in that moment, I had this realization that unfortunately, as moms, we think that we have to have all these answers and we have to be able to help our kids accomplish everything. And we want to, and we definitely want to be there for that. But I try to always be gentle and careful about how I'm wording things because I never want someone to feel guilt that because they didn't have those tools, 
that they created issues for the next generation Mm -hmm. or for their kids. And it's really, I'm just trying to give you the peace so that you can help your kids or help someone else with those things and not feel guilty about it because we weren't provided those things. No one sat us on a toilet and taught us how to poop. No one told us how we should be breathing appropriately. We just go about our day and move and nobody told us that this might be an issue for our bladder if we are just in case being. No one explains Mm -hmm. those pieces. So I'm always trying to be extra careful and gentle about that because it is a little bit harder where we think that maybe our habits and what we're doing have Mm -hmm. impacted our kids and we want to change those things. It just takes time for us to get those pieces. Not feeling like you're doing it wrong, but more so being educated about like, how could you do this differently in a way that actually amplifies your health and your strength rather than contributing to some tightness or dysfunction. And once you learn, you can then teach others. But Mm -hmm. it's not like this is common knowledge. You went to graduate school and have done extra training. And so I'm grateful that you frame it that way so that people don't feel like, oh my gosh, I've been doing this wrong, but rather, oh, there's a different way that I could approach this. And now I feel really empowered where I could go have a conversation with a professional and it may get rid of many of my symptoms. So I'm so glad you clarify that for your clients. I'm pumped that you clarified it for us today. But the other thing that I think I see you stress a lot is that leaking is not normal. Even after surgery, after pregnancy, after any type of birth and delivery and that people can fix it. Tell us more about that. Yeah. Yeah, I countless times. So there's a trampoline park that's right by us and we have a membership. And anytime I post videos about it, everybody's like, you go mom for being able to be out there and be able to jump on that. Because there's so many times that I run into the moms who everybody's sitting on the side. Nobody wants to jump because it's like, oh, I've had three kids. You know how it goes. It's just everybody has that. But the thing is, it doesn't, I always say what you're experiencing now does not need to become your new normal. And even though I keep saying, oh, moms who experience it because they had kids, there's women out there who experience this, who have not even had kids. And there are men out there who have experienced it. Now, mainly the men who experience it, it's because they have something with a prostate or they've had surgery. So they put it to that. And then they just deal with it because, oh, I had the surgery and this is my new normal. But there are definitely things that we can change. It's fixing the breathing mechanics. It's starting to work on, oh, what's happening when you are doing trampoline with your kids or you're jumping rope with your kids. And then even the simplest thing as getting out of bed, that happens to some people where they say, yeah, it started this way and then it progressed and it snowballed. And normally what's happening for most of us is what we call doming. It's where the abdominal wall, instead of being braced and coming in and supportive, we're actually bulging out against that. And because we're bulging out and not becoming supportive, that poor bladder is getting pushed down. And Hmm. the pelvic floor, the main function of it is to support that area, to get those organs to stay where they're supposed to. So it recognizes, hey, something's moving down here that's not supposed to. So then it starts to tighten up. And now your poor bladder is getting squished by the pelvic floor and it's getting squished by everything from up above. It's emptied on a stretch reflex, which is that compression. So what's going to happen is you're going to leak. So that's mainly just starting to change those mechanics and start to work on, okay, what should it feel like when I'm activating my core? What should it feel like when I'm moving and doing these things so that I don't do the doming ends of things? What's an instruction you might give somebody to experiment with if they are someone who cannot jump on a trampoline. Yeah, I know that one's a hard one. I normally say work on breathing. So I always say breathe into space because majority of the time, the reason why we're leaking is because of tightness. It's not because your pelvic floor is weak. I know that sounds Mm. crazy, but it's a different type of weakness. So whenever I work with someone, I always want to balance. I need a balance in that pelvic floor in order for everything to function appropriately. We need to be able to come to a relaxed state and we need to be able to contract and we need to be able to go back and forth between those. Most of us, unfortunately, only know how to contract and hold it. And then what ends up happening, we have the three layers in the pelvic floor. I know we didn't talk too much about the anatomy ends of it, but the pelvic floor has three layers to it. And the first two layers run from a sling side to side. 
And then your third layer runs a sling forward and backwards. And it creates this beautiful little piece that just holds everything into place. Now, those three layers need to work together as a Mm -hmm. team. What can happen a lot of times is we get tightness in one layer because it feels like it needs to really support which then communicates the other layer that, hey, you know what? I got this. You don't need to work as hard. Mm -hmm. So maybe it is functioning at a slower rate or it might just be piggybacking off of that other layer, but not truly functioning to the same degree as what we want it Mm -hmm. to. And now that's where we start to get into a weakness because we can't get them to work together. So normally what I say is working on just getting the space to relax a little bit and then getting it to contract all three layers together instead of it just being this grip of tension all the time and see if that helps a little bit. Fascinating. That is a much more intricate approach than I think most people think of when they hear I have pelvic floor issues and the automatic thought is, oh, my pelvic floor is weak. I'm going to do Kegels and squeeze as hard as I can and then things will fix it. Oh my God, I'm seeing Dr. Ah. Becky Shea. (laughs) Oh my God, tell us why you're reacting this way when I say that. Yeah, I definitely, it's not, Kegels are not bad. I definitely give them to my patients, but it's not the best exercise to go to. So I always, my first step is working on relaxation And the first thing that I always teach everybody is all that tension that all of us are so used to sucking it in. Like Mm -hmm. we all try to get into those jeans that are too tight. (laughs) We're trying to pull everything in and then we just hold it all in. Yeah. We're all so used to holding that tension. Holding that tension is actually not going to be beneficial to our pelvic floor. Letting it go every once in a while is really helpful. You think about, remember, we were talking about that canister and the diaphragm, the pelvic floor mirroring each other. When you take your breath in and you're breathing in, the diaphragm descends. If you're holding that tension in your lower abdomen, that breath can only get so far and then that's it. We might get a little bit of movement in the pelvic floor. So my first step is always teaching someone how to get the full relaxation and length of our pelvic floor. And then starting to work on to the next step of, okay, here's how we contract them all together. This is how they all move together. And then we start to add into layers of those things. So we add in the layers of being able to contract gentle, being able to contract quickly, being able to contract slow, being able to contract a little bit harder, all those different layers. And the easiest way to explain all of that, we take it to a muscle that we all really understand, which is the bicep. You went into the gym, you would not pick up that weight and just start repping it out as hard as you could. That's exactly what happens with most of us for a Kegel. We just go as hard as we can and then we're just gripping and we're just tightening everything and we don't even know how to come back to a relaxed state. So then now we're walking around the gym like we're T-Rex people because we're in a shortened state. (laughs) It's not really functional. We won't be able to do anything. That's what happens to our pelvic floor when all we're doing is tightening it. We want to be able to bring that weight back down and be able to function and use our arms Same thing with our pelvic floor. Come back Hmm. to a resting tone before we start to activate it. This is fascinating. I feel like a lot of people have never heard that analogy, don't even know that they have a range of movement or three different layers in their pelvic floor. And I can appreciate why your clients get better because you're looking at so many things and so many different facets, even of just the musculature. And what a nice permission it is to learn to relax. Yeah. Is there a psychological aspect of this that you find resonates with your clients? I will say a lot of times I'm extra careful, especially in that first session. One, someone has not met me before. Mm -hmm. I am the first time meeting them. And now all of a sudden we're jumping in and we're talking about pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. So I'm always extra careful about that. But a lot of times, remember how I was talking about those muscle fibers running forward and backward Mm -hmm. and side to side? The reason for that is to support the organs, but it also is a shock absorption for us. So Mm. us with our feet, that all of that energy is coming up into that space. It's meant to help us absorb some of that shock. But remember, all of our tissue has fascia in it. Everything is fascially connected. And if you think about the fascia, it's just connective tissue. Lots and lots of nerve endings in that space. All those nerve endings tie up into our emotional center of our brain. So if we're always holding tension and we're always holding all that, imagine what that's sending us emotionally up into our brain. And now when I'm working with someone and we're working through breath and we're letting some of that tension go, we're now releasing some of that. A lot of emotional components come along with that and it is not uncommon 
for someone to sit there with me and have this moment where they just feel like they just let everything go. That all these things that they've been carrying, they can finally let go and they feel like, oh, there's this weight off of me. So we definitely see a big key component of a mental and a physical component that goes along with that. I've sent so many clients to you since we are in the same area. And so much of it is your expertise, but also equally as important is your approach. And you have a trauma-informed approach to pelvic floor therapy. And what I would say when I would send clients your way is it's not scary. It's not stressful. In fact, it's a relief. You probably have no idea how much tension you've got. And even after Mm -hmm. the first session, that's going to be reduced. So for somebody at home who's feeling like, okay, I'm in, I know I need this, but I'm a little nervous. What do people tend to report to you at even after the first session that feels better? I think the biggest piece that most people give me, they say for the first time that they're starting to connect into a space that they didn't realize they needed because it's been a space that if you even think about in society, it's such a taboo to even talk about this. Now, the door is slowly opening a little bit more Mm -hmm. and it's not as closed off for women. Unfortunately, for men, it's still a little bit closed off. But when it comes to the women ends of things, we are slowly starting to open that ends of things. When I have someone come in and they're finally able to connect to that area, they recognize, oh my gosh, like this was something that now I just feel like I can ground through my whole body. I feel like I can connect and I feel like my exercises are so much stronger and I feel like I can do so much more. And when I'm really stressed and I need to take a breath, it's comfortable, not forceful. I had one patient who has scoliosis, so that definitely impacts her lungs a lot. And she had worked with a pelvic floor PT before, and they had worked through breathing, and we just switched a little bit. We just changed cues because everybody needs something a little different. And she came back to me, and that was the first thing she said. She said, for the first time, I felt like I could actually breathe. And I didn't feel like I was suffering to get oxygen into my body. I actually knew what it felt like to get a breath in and be able to take a full breath without feeling like my chest started to bother me or other bones are starting to irritate me. I felt like I could take something comfortable and not forceful. And that's mainly my biggest goal. Wow, that's beautiful. Okay, (laughs) we're going to talk about how people can come see you and how they can find someone near them who does something similar if maybe they're not in the States. But before we get into that, You took the time to write up two amazing case studies that listeners can go read through start to finish on the Rupa Health magazine. And I really want you guys to go read them because they're about conditions that I think most people would assume are unfixable. And so the first one you wrote for us is about one of your clients who had vaginismus and vulvodynia. Can you tell us the course of treatment that you used for her that was able to help her heal? Yeah. So her original diagnosis was vaginismus, which that is when you are unable to use a tampon or have anything inserted into the area because of how much tension and pain that you have. And then hers evolved into vulvodynia, which is painful. Normally they use a cotton swab to touch the tissue on the outside and it's very tender and irritated. That's where hers had progressed. So when she came to me, she had already worked with a pelvic floor PT beforehand and she was mainly coming for her feet, which I was like, hey, it's all related. And she also had neck pain. So she was, (laughs) everything kind of just related in. So I first started to work with her on just trying to get her in the right shoes because she was in very stiff, rigid shoes that were not helping the function of her foot at all. She wasn't loading appropriately. So we focused a lot on getting the mobility back in the foot getting her comfortable to even be barefoot. She couldn't even tolerate being barefoot at all. Pretty much wore shoes all the time in the Mm -hmm. house. Couldn't be out of shoes. Couldn't tolerate standing without even moving for longer than five minutes before she was like, I gotta sit down. It hurts so bad. So that was her biggest thing. And then we started to work through some pelvic floor stuff for her. So some dilator training, which dilators are fantastic as long as you start to use them the right way. So I educated her on how to appropriately use those, how to take her time with them to accomplish the goals that we wanted. And then we started to realize there's still a significant amount of pain that's going on. So I referred her off to Dr. Ariane, who is here in the office with me as well. She's a functional medicine, physical therapist and registered dietitian. Amazing. And so she started to look into a little bit more of the gut component. 
And that was where everything just fell into place for her. She started to get all these testing done and we started to figure out she had SIBO and candida. So small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and candida. So she had that yeast overgrowth, which if you start to look into it, she fell right into the same symptoms that would not be a normal presentation for it, but she did have a lot where she had systemic inflammation because she had neck pain, she had some shoulder pain, she had foot issues, and then she also had some of the vulvar pain as well. So a lot of that all makes sense. There's some systemic stuff that's going on. And then when we started to do a little bit more testing, we found out that she had high oxalates. She's a little bit more of a complex case because she's been a vegetarian since 1990. So she's taking a lot of plant, vegetable, proteins, that kind of stuff in. And those are high in oxalates. Oxalates are linked very heavily to vulvar pain just because of how the body starts to process all of those things. A lot of the food she was eating high in oxalates feeding the candida because she's eating in order to get her complete proteins. She had to put a lot of things together that would be higher in carbohydrates, which converts over quickly to sugar, which is your main source for your candida. So her case was a little bit more complex because it wasn't just movement. So we did a candida protocol with her through We Laboratories. And then we also started to put a little bit more focus on getting her into the appropriate amino acids. So her diet was focused mm-hmm. on reducing sugar as much as we could, but then also getting the right proteins in, right compounds of everything. So we had complete protein in there. And the amazing thing is now she is at the gym working out three days a week and she does her warm up barefoot, which is awesome. Wow. And she has no vulvar pain anymore at all. That's amazing. So by treating the gut and doing PT and working on nutrition, you were able to help this client heal who'd been suffering for years before she saw you. And for those of you at home who are thinking candida overgrowth, many people who have a vagina know about this already as a yeast infection. And that can be caused by a number of things. It can be caused by overgrowth of candida yeast or lack of the appropriate probiotics like lactobacillus that tend to keep a lid on candida overgrowth. This is why many people will experience they take an antibiotic and right immediately after they end up with a yeast infection. Some people, this happens so frequently that their doctor will give them an antibiotic and an antifungal together to prevent that. That can be contributing to more than just what you would think of as a yeast infection, but it sounds like it was contributing to her pain in her pelvic floor area and she did not know. So Mm -hmm. thank goodness you checked for her. And when you were able to address that, she was able to heal more than she'd been able to heal in the years before she saw you. So this case study is on the Rupa Health magazine. You guys can read the story of your client, whose name is Dr. Becky. What name did we give her for the case study? We gave her Sally. Sally. Great. So go look up Sally's case because what you guys will read about, if you have a similar condition to Sally, it's powerful to me to see what did this person do specifically, start to finish? What was the prescription? How long did it take for them to heal? And to me, that gives people so much hope because they see that this is really doable. This isn't theory. It's real life and it works for real people. You have another case study that you wrote up for us, which I'm so thankful for. Can you talk us through that one? So we had a male who came to us a few days after he had his prostate removed. So he had a radical prostate removal, which means that they're taking nerve with it. So unfortunately, for that reason, a lot of times they will experience leaking for a longer period of time. Luckily, he did his own research and he was on top of it. And he recognized the importance of being able to get in and start doing pelvic floor PT quickly. So he reached out to me. We did an assessment and we recognized, yeah, you know what? It's going to be the best thing for you. The little nugget that he gave me beforehand that was really important, he was given a piece of paper on exercises to do, and he was given just do your Kegels, and he wasn't really given much instruction. So unfortunately, he did do Kegels, and he ended up hurting himself to the point where he had a little bit of pain when he was urinating, and he was so nervous to even start pelvic floor PT, and that's all he kept saying was, is this going to hurt? Is this going to cause pain? I had so much pain the last time. I can't afford that. So the biggest thing for him was making sure, okay, let's make sure that we cue you 100% appropriately staying on top of this 
and stay away from the overactivation because that's where he ended up being. He was one of those, they call them, it's like a building where you just build that tension, you just find it and then you just keep sticking with it and you just build. And then to the point where it's going to cause pain because we're almost reducing the blood flow into that area. So the body's saying, pain, relax. I need this to stop because I need some blood flow in here. So he unfortunately had to go into adult diapers because that's how much he was leaking. And he was going through so many of them. I, I think he was up to six to eight a day, unfortunately. And for him, the worst part was for work, he had to go out and meet clients and do things. And he had to carry around a bag. Now he's a male, so it's not like he had a purse and it makes sense. He had to carry around a special bag that he had to have multiple diapers as well as a change of clothes because there were times that he leaked through the diaper and then was out and now needed a change of clothes before he could go out. So his biggest thing was he just wanted to make sure that it could decrease the impact. We did pelvic floor PT with him. He did it five days a week for an hour going through all the different types of exercises. We went through the foundations where we just went in lying position first. Then we went into a table position, so hands and knees, so we get a little bit more functional. Then we got into a seated position, and then everything now is in a standing position. So for him, it was all about making sure we could integrate it and make sure we were figuring out, okay, where are we still having leaking and then tweaking his program a little bit. So a lot of the times people will stay so focused on just those contractions. Remember, we were talking about how complex the pelvic floor is. So for him, we started to incorporate in the slow twitch fibers so we could work on the endurance. So he was holding for a specific mm-hmm. count to work on being able to hold the contraction. But then in between each set, going into relaxed stage. So we worked on some of the endurance. We worked on fast twitch, which are really important for when you're out with your friends and you're laughing and you don't want to have any leaking. So we worked on those different types of things. And then we also, in his warm up and cool down, would work on some spinal mobility for him as well because of the impact between all that. So in the end, still currently working with him, but we're down to three liners, liners, no more diapers, three to four liners. And sometimes he changes them because maybe it's a little bit sweatier. So he just changes it and they're not even saturated. They're just a little damp. So he just changes it because it's time to move on to the next one. So going from having to carry an extra bag everywhere and change of clothes and probably feeling on edge a lot of the day, wondering if he was going to leak through to now like no big deal, wearing a liner in normal underwear, Mm -hmm. going about his day, not needing a change of clothes from physical therapy, yeah, from pelvic floor physical therapy. And the biggest thing he started out where he was just like, I would leak and I couldn't stop leaking. So that's the reason why he was leaking through Mm -hmm. diapers was because he couldn't control it to stop it. And now he says, yeah, every once in a while I'll get a little bit of something starting Mm -hmm. and I even question if it is, but I can grab and I can make it to the bathroom. And that's the whole goal of it is that you might still experience those things, but you can somewhat control it and then make it to the bathroom to empty when needed. Wow. I'm glad you wrote up this story because I think it really helps hit home for folks. If this is impeding your life, there are things you can do that will make it manageable again. And you owe it to yourself to at least try it. So Dr. Becky, how do people see you? Tell us that first. And then for the unlucky folks who maybe can't, which don't feel unlucky because Dr. Becky's going to tell you, how would they find someone like you to work with to get started on their own path to healing? So in order to see us, we normally say if you go to our website, so if you go, I think it'll be linked into this podcast where you'll be able to find us there. You can either text the number that's there or you can email, you can do all those different types of things, call, and then we can get you set up. We normally do discovery sessions. That's great because you can hear for that 15 minutes, hear what your journey is, what you've been experiencing. And then we decide, are we going to be a good fit for each other? Is this going to be the right path? And what are we going to do? Now, a lot of people who are listening to this already know how different we are, but I would like to tailor it to what you need and focusing on those things. So we would do that in that discovery call. And then for anyone who wouldn't be able to work with us, knowing the nice thing is we can do things virtual and people would be very surprised. And one of my patient who I was just talking about that we just talked about with that case, I think I put his name as Adam. So if anyone's Mm -hmm. looking for that, it'll be Adam. For him, I work with him virtual now and you will be very surprised at the things that I can pick up in that and I can definitely help with that. 
Now, for anyone who isn't able to, if they're looking for a pelvic floor therapist, recognize that it's a really intimate relationship. So you're pretty much interviewing that person. You can go on to pelvicrehab.com and you can look for people who are certified in that area. That's exactly what you want. You don't want someone who says that they can do it, but hasn't taken the coursework in it. That's how you know someone's taken some coursework there. And then you can find someone that's in your area. But just make sure you really feel like it's the right fit. So do your research, go onto their website and look those things up. Now, outside of that too, we do have an app that we're going to be launching, which if you talk to, if you listen to Dr. Arian's podcast, you'll probably be hearing some of those pieces. And in that one, we have our core workout thing that's in there. And so because of everything that you talked about throughout this whole episode about how the core is really that cylinder, doing that core program is going to help with the pelvic floor. So it's the Movement Paradigm app. We did talk about it. Everyone can get it and use that program. And then it sounds like if they look you up at the Movement Paradigm, they can call you and chat through if you're going to be a good fit. You have options where you can see people in person a few times, but then work with them virtually. And then remind us again one last time, what's the website people can use if they're not in Pennsylvania or they can't see you for some reason? Pelvicrehab.com. Brilliant. Normally through Herman and Wallace is where most people will get their accreditation certification for pelvic floor PT, or they'll also do it through APTA is also another one. But the pelvic rehab, that's an easy one to find that one. We'll link all this for you guys in the episode notes. So if you're listening on a podcast platform, check the episode notes. Go check out those case studies that Dr. Becky has written up for you. Maybe send them to someone who it reminds you of. This may not be a fit for you right now, but you may have a friend or family member that this is really tugging at your heartstrings like, oh man, I feel like they could really need this. Send them the case study, send them the podcast and let them at least hear it for themselves and they can decide. Sometimes that's the best thing you can do for someone. Dr. Becky, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. It was so great being on here. We will see you soon. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. We have one quick favor to ask you before you go. If you love today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? Our whole goal is education. So positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. You're amazing and we so appreciate it. We'll catch you next time on the Root Cause Medicine Podcast.